From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Now, it may shock or surprise some of you to know that I actually lead a a pretty normal, quiet life away from the uh, conspiracy show. I spent most of this weekend outdoors with uh, Zach and North playing shinny. Shinny, that's uh, hockey, uh, for those not familiar. Uh, Playing up at a a rink in uh, in Thornhill, not too far from here. Uh, behind a, a public school, and I have to say, I give a shout out really to the community volunteers up there that are responsible for for building and maintaining the rink there. They've done an incredible job. It's a, it's really a lost art, uh, building and maintaining and flooding a proper outdoor rink. And this, uh, by all accounts, has been a banner year for outdoor ice rinks uh, with the uh, the cold temperatures, particularly. The occasional unseasonally warm days that we've had, followed by these bone-chilling nights. And uh, again, the result is an outdoor rink with ice just like glass. It's just been great. And the boys were out on the rink most of Saturday and again today. And uh, I even took a turn at shoveling. Lord knows I'm, I'm much handier with a shovel than I am with a hockey stick. Uh, anyway, I... I, I um, I've missed, uh, you know, getting out on the ice, and now that since I've had the boys the last eight years, I've, I've probably been out, out on the on the rink more times in the last eight years than the preceding thirty. I've missed it. Uh, here's something we're all hoping to miss, and that's a collision with a giant asteroid which is headed our way. Have you heard about this? It's the size of five football fields, and it's approaching Earth. It's expected to pass by on Monday. And it'll be visible uh, through, if you've got a, a, a pair of strong binoculars, it's definitely worth a look. Get out in the backyard. Uh, because the next time uh, such an asteroid will come this close again will be in 2027. At the closest point uh, to the Earth, asteroid 2004 BL86. Can't they come up with better names for asteroids, particularly one this size? Asteroid 2004 BL86 will be at a distance of 1.2 million kilometers, which is approximately three times the distance from the Earth to the Moon, estimated to be a half a kilometer in diameter. It's classified by scientists as potentially dangerous, and a space object is considered potentially dangerous if it crosses the Earth's orbit at a distance of less than 0.05 uh, AU, which is approximately 19 and, a half, 19 and a half distances from the Earth to the Moon, if its diameter exceeds 100 to 150 meters. Well, this is half a kilometer. That certainly uh, classifies or uh, qualifies as potentially dangerous. And it's uh, it says here, objects of this size are large enough to cause unprecedented destruction or generate a tsunami in case they fall into the ocean. However... Uh, NASA's retired manager uh, of the Near-Earth Object Programs Office at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Don Yeoman, says it poses no threat to Earth for the foreseeable future. It's a relatively close approach by a relatively large asteroid, uh, but it does provide a unique opportunity to observe and learn more. Uh, Albert the intern is here. He tells me we're not uh, doing a hangout on air tonight due to some technical issues, but we'll be back Next week, with another live stream on YouTube. Uh, and incidentally, next week, it's the return of Canada's Edgar Casey, remote viewer, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, and Pastor Carl Gallops will be here as well to discuss end times prophecy and the days of trumpets. Uh, oh, and here we go. A big announcement. My Follow the Truth Summit is coming back. Follow the Truth 2. Mark it on your calendar. Sunday, April 26th. Headed back to Oshawa, the beautiful Regent Theatre, uh, by all accounts, and this will be an evening event. Doors will open at 6 p.m., and we have another great lineup of speakers. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's former Minister of Defence and Deputy Prime Minister, will be speaking about the money mafia. Our very own paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, live and in person, on spirit communication. She, she's bringing her spirit box with her for a demonstration live on stage, 
And I got to think that old theater up in Oshawa has uh, some ghosts. So hopefully she'll capture some on uh, on her spirit box. Canada's Edgar Casey, as I mentioned, Doctor Doctor Cottrell will be in a deep trance meditative state on stage, attempting to uh, access the Akashic record, and he'll take your questions as well. Uh, JFK assassination researcher Nelson Thal, the man who smuggled the Zapruder film into Canada, will be unpacking the Zapruder film frame by frame. Ms. Jane Steele, formerly of Shock Talk, will uh, present the lost and found tribes of Israel. Victor Vigiani will present smoking gun documents proving the government knows about and is concerned about the UFO ET reality. And this one, very excited about Dr. Gary Chang will bring his exact replica of the Shroud of Turin, which millions of Christians believe to be the actual burial uh, cloth of Christ. He'll bring an exact replica of the Shroud for a special and exclusive exhibit and uh, also make a uh, presentation. How's that for an informative and entertaining evening? That's Follow the Truth 2, live at the Regent Theatre, Oshawa, Sunday, April 26th. Doors open at 6. Visit followthetruth.tv for more information and for tickets. Call the box office at 905-721-3399. Don't miss it. Uh, and later in the hour, I'll award one, uh, one of you a pair of tickets to follow the truth. Stay tuned and get ready to answer a conspiracy-related trivia question. All right. I mentioned uh, things you don't want to miss. Well, I don't think you want to miss this next uh, 45 minutes or so. Uh, because, well, let me back up here. About three weeks ago, Americans, anyway, celebrated Martin Luther King Day, and Dr. King's birthday is actually January 15th, uh, but uh, the federal holiday in the U.S. is marked on the, I believe it's the third Monday of the month. And, of course, uh, Dr. King was assassinated in April uh, back in 1968. And that decade, the 60s, also saw the assassinations of JFK, Malcolm X, Robert F. Kennedy. All of these assassinations remain shrouded in mystery and controversy, but my next guest has managed to tie all of these murders together in his book, Why the CIA Killed JFK and Malcolm X, The Secret Drug Trade in Laos. Author, professor, historian John Kerner uh, breaks new ground in two important areas that have yet to be linked and explored by any JFK assassination historian. He argues that the CIA's secret drug trade in Laos and the president's effort to end it provided the primary motive that the CIA needed to assassinate John F. Kennedy. A lot of effort has been made to examine the president's Vietnam policy, but precious little attention has been paid to the opium trade in Laos that was making the CIA wealthy and powerful beyond its wildest dreams. His book chronicles the president's secret war with the CIA over Laos, a high-stakes game that perhaps cost him his life. John Kerner also links the JFK assassination and the drug trade with other the other three major assassinations of the 1960s, as I mentioned, Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy. Well, John Kerner, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for hanging out with me for the hour. Richard, it's great to be on the show, and you mentioned hockey to start with, and uh, boy, we're down here in Buffalo, and we're proud of our Sabres. We're dead last in the league, and... It's a good place to be this year, isn't it? Uh, well, yes, it's uh, it's a sweepstakes in the draft. <laughs> yeah. It's a race to the bottom. <laughs> Hopefully right. we, the Leafs can beat you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see, right? The Leafs are having a tough year, aren't they? Indeed, indeed. Well, we're used to it. We're used to the drought. Uh, John, uh, let's uh, talk about, you know, the, the history of... Uh, the CIA in Southeast Asia, of course, uh, its precursor, the uh, Office of Strategic Services, uh, you know, certainly had a presence in uh, Southeast Asia uh, in the days after the, the Second World War, um, probably even before. But but let's talk specifically about uh, the connection between intelligence groups like the OSS and the CIA uh, and the drug trade. Does it go back to, to Prohibition? Is that where it all began? Yeah, drug running has a very long and ignominious history in the United States. And just talking about, for example, the U.S. and, and Canada with the, the Prohibition era, bringing illegal alcohol into western New York, for example, where I live. So there's always been a lot of different aspects to U.S. history that involve drugs. But with this particular part of U.S. history, 
there's a place called the Golden Triangle in Southeast Asia that includes Burma, Thailand, and Laos. And that's the best place on Earth to grow opium. And the agency finds out about this in the 1950s when they start to fight communism there, when the French lose at the NBN coup. And it's almost like they got the golden ticket and they find out about it and they don't want to leave. So President Kennedy comes into office in the 60s and he gets word about this, that the agency is not just there to fight communism, they're also there to um, help grow, sell, and, and trade drugs. So this ends up becoming a very lucrative business for them. And just for just one example, in the week the president died, in November 1963, the agency ships about $97,000 worth, worth of opium to South Vietnam. So it is a, a lucrative business, and the president and also Malcolm X are are directly in the way of this. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that uh, as the hour progresses. John Kerner is with us as we talk about uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, the CIA's drug war in Laos. Now, be, be, I mean, you have to have some sort of brokering between uh, these intelligence groups like the CIA or the OSS um, and, you know, the brokers themselves, the drug brokers, uh, the, the crime syndicates, and for, for example. So, so who were... Uh, who were the CIA dealing with in order to get the, the drugs out of the Golden Triangle and presumably into the markets in, in Europe and in, in North America? Well, one key event happens in January of 1968. The agency sets up a meeting between Vang Pao, who was an opium dealer in Vietnam and in Laos, and the meeting is between Vang Pao and Santo Tropicante. So the agency is trying to enlist the help of the mafia to bring the drugs into the American marketplace. And much of this stuff is done in a very diabolical way. In some cases, they will use the coffins <clears throat> of American GIs and stuff the bodies and the boxes with heroin and then ship them to American marketplaces to be sold in American ghettos. And Malcolm X knew this. He was talking about this for many, many years before his assassination. It was destroying America's ghettos and ruining people's lives. So... The mafia plays a role in this. Agents on the ground in our country and in the United States are also playing a key role in this, even using the bodies of, of dead GIs in Vietnam. So this is how the nuts and bolts of it gets done with the help of the mafia and men on the ground that are being employed to do this. All right, John. Uh, one well, key figure is a guy named uh, David Morales. We'll take, John, let and, me just jump in here. We'll take a, yeah, we'll take, take a time out. We'll come back and uh, yeah, sure. continue to discuss this uh, important topic. John Kerner is with us, the author of Why the CIA Killed JFK and Malcolm X, The Secret Drug Trade in Laos. Author, professor, historian John Kerner right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Many of you, no doubt, will be... uh, uh, familiar with the uh, the work of the late Gary Webb, the reporter at the San Jose Mercury News, uh, who, uh, well, a decade and a half ago, uh, started an investigative series writing about how the CIA uh, were bringing drugs into the inner cities in America. Uh, and he talked about, uh, you know, cities in the San Jose and the Bay Area. Uh, and, of course, we know what happened to Gary Webb, uh, the official version is that he uh, died of a self-inflicted uh, a gunshot wound. However, it has been theorized that he was silenced uh, for that series of articles, again, on the CIA and their illegal drug activity. Right now, John Kerner is here connecting the dots between the assassinations of JFK, Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy, and the CIA's secret drug trade in the Golden Triangle, specifically... Laos. Uh, so, John, we were talking about uh, how the uh, the CIA was getting the the drugs out um, of of Vietnam. Were they also making the um, the opium available to to uh, U.S. soldiers in Vietnam? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's important to understand too. How it connects to the military industrial complex that the the whole war in Vietnam has to keep going and anyone who is in the way of it uh, has to be eliminated because the GIs in Vietnam are a customer base to sell the heroin to. And many of these soldiers come home from the war addicted to heroin. In fact, about maybe 200,000, in fact, are coming home from the war addicted to that drug. 
And heroin, it, it, it's, it's so um, addictive, it's so enticing. The men are going through hell in combat. They need some kind of stress relief, and heroin provides that for them. And about 60,000 kill themselves in part from addictions to drugs, heroin specifically. And in Laos, it plays into this too. Um, the president's being pressured to go to war in Laos too. There's a civil war going on there too. It's right next to Vietnam. And if, this, if, the, if the war spreads to there, the Joint Chiefs of Staff tells JFK, that the war would require 60,000 ground troops. And that would be, again, 60,000 more customers for the agency to sell drugs to. Now, you mentioned uh, Gary Webb. There was another man named uh, Louis Lomax, who was another journalist. And he was going to also, in this case, he was going to do a a movie about Malcolm X and the connections that the agency had to his assassination. And he was killed on July 31st, 1970, before he could do a movie about um, the connections to the assassination of Malcolm X. And I also can mention that there's been some unusual things that happened in my life that I think might be connected to my reporting on this as well. Please tell me. Well, uh, last summer, uh, I was in very good health. Um, I've never been in the hospital before that. Um, I was exercising every day, you know, playing tennis, what I usually do. And then all of a sudden I got struck down with this horrible illness. Um, I lost almost 50 pounds. I had to have my throat cut into three separate times. My lungs had to be drained. There was all kinds of issues with my my tonsils. Everything in my body seemed to be just collapsing. And the doctors kept asking me if I'd ever been to Southeast Asia. And I've never been there. In fact, I've never even left the country except for uh, going to... uh, a Blue Jays game about five years ago, but I've never been to Southeast Asia. And they said, I got some kind of illness that only comes from there. It has never once shown up ever in the United States. What are we talking about, a a virus or some sort of a pathogen? or Some kind of blood-borne virus that they said must have been deliberately given to me. They thought I most likely had been poisoned somehow. And they said there was really no reason I should have survived it. It usually kills people within about two days. And I somehow it was able to, to make it through. I, again, I'm just now kind of recovering my voice. And they said, there is no reason you ever should have got this. It doesn't make any sense. And that was right when my book was being put into publication. <clears throat> that is remarkable and scary. Um, it, is, it's a, it is frightening. Now, uh, let, let's get back to Laos uh, for a moment. And, of course, the, the, uh, the CIA was running this, uh, this covert war in Laos. And in fact, CIA Director Richard Helms at the time, mm-hmm. a very interesting character uh, throughout right. history, um, but, but uh, was you know, involved in the, uh, the overthrow of Allende in Chile and, and uh, I believe later served as ambassador to Iran when the Shah was, was still um, in power there. Um, but he was sort of, I mean, he, he characterizes the, the, the CIA's operation in Laos as the, the war that we won. Meaning, you know, while the U.S., they lost the war in Vietnam, they won the war, uh, in, in Laos. But, of course, there is, we may, many of us are familiar with that movie that came out, I guess, in the, the 80s sometime, Air America, which was this airline secretly owned by the CIA. Right. And this was supposedly a, a pretty vital component in the agency's operations in Laos. Uh, but, Oh, it was 1990. Air America came out, and uh, it and, and it talks about how uh, Air America was essentially used to run drugs. Now, uh, I mean, how, there's two. We have two different versions of history, uh, and some say that that's a distorted view. That the idea that the CIA was using Air America to run drugs. How do we know, you know, that that wasn't a bum rap? Well, a lot of reporting has been done on that, including my own and Alfred Bacori's reporting. And ever since my book came out, too, and even before it, I've gotten some emails and contacts from people who have actually been in Vietnam and Laos who have said that they've actually seen the opium on the, on the aircrafts, on the planes themselves. So they've witnessed that the opium has been, was being run for many, many years in Southeast Asia. The agency was doing all kinds of things with it. They were lining their own pockets. They even created a, a gambling casino in one of the Laotian capital cities that they ran for many, many years. And this was a lucrative operation that they just would not let go of, and anyone in the way of it, they would eliminate, including President Kennedy and Malcolm X, especially Robert Kennedy, too. He was um, a big threat to them as well, because he had conducted his own investigation and had concluded that the agency had, in fact, killed his brother, 
And one reason that he wanted to run for president in 68 was to dismantle the agency and expose them for the um, what they had done to kill his brother. And if he got that done, there would have been executions for treason, and they would have not been able to operate into the 60s and, and 70s and create the different things today, like a country facing like the war on terrorism, for example, that in part comes from the things that they have done to create American anger, um, America, angry against our country, I guess you should say, <clears throat> throughout the world. And and how far up the chain of command within the CIA uh, mm-hmm. were people aware of this this drug trade in the Golden Triangle? For example, I mentioned CIA Director Richard Helms at the time. Was he aware, according to your research? Yes, it seems like the very high command was aware of this and actually running it. Uh, they appointed men like Ted Shackley and David Morales to take part in this operation and make sure that it got done efficiently and was done to uh, the benefit of all those involved. And in fact, David Morales is key to this. Uh, he's the one that really sets up all of the operations like at PASC and other places in Laos. And Morales ends up becoming connected to the RFK assassination and the JFK assassination, too. Uh, e. Howard Hunt... On his deathbed, he confesses that he was involved in the JFK assassination and that David Morales was involved, too. And not only that, you might know about a guy named Shane O'Sullivan. He did a documentary for the BBC back in 2006, and he did this reporting over the course of a number of years. And he concluded that, again, David Morales was at the Ambassador Hotel Ballroom in downtown Los Angeles the night that Robert Kennedy was killed. So this man, Morales, who the agency appoints to you know, help run the operations in Laos, we can connect directly to both JFK and also RFK as well. How much money was, uh, drug money was coming out of the Golden Triangle uh, and, and presumably lining the CIA pockets uh, leading up to the days prior to JFK's assassination? You were talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. <clears throat> in fact, it gets to the point where so much money is being spent and, and so much money is being made, they need to find different ways to use it. And, and one way, of course, is to expand Air America, and the other thing is to push for a, more, a larger customer base to sell the heroin, too. So if, if we have uh, an expanding war in, in Vietnam and in Laos, then the agency can expand their customer base. And again, if you look at this from the perspective of anyone who's involved, if the president or Malcolm X or anyone is, is speaking out against the Vietnam War, this will directly undercut their ability to exist. And at that point in time, the agency is not all that very old. I mean, they're just the relatively new agency, a new organization, and they could be eliminated. The president was at war with them, and they were at war with him. It was a very struggle for their very existence, and Laos was where this all really played out. Well, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's certainly, you know, a lot of money today. It was even more money back in, in the early 1960s. But one might uh, argue, well, that hardly seems like enough money to kill a standing president over. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of millions, but hundreds of thousands, really? Well, I just mean like in, in per month. If you add this up over the course of many years, we're talking about millions, certainly. And... They, they understand that if they can stay there, they can expand the marketplace to the United States and other parts of the world. So it, it's all about the potential for what can happen in the future. And as time goes on, the drug trade does expand all over the place. And then we are talking about millions. Because in 1968, when they set up shop with the mafia, when Chafficante gets involved, then we are talking about a lot of money coming in all over the world. And again, Gary Webb talks about this, too, in his research with the, with the Mercury News. So when you get this whole chronology going in the 1950s when it begins into the 60s and in the 70s you can see how it builds and how it gets more money as time goes on and that at that point can kind of recognize the potential that they see and again if anything gets in the way of that then they can take steps to eliminate anyone who's involved author professor historian john kerner is uh, with us here on the conspiracy show the book why the cia killed jfk and malcolm x the secret drug trade in Laos. Uh, so I guess then, uh, the uh, in terms of, of, of Jack Kennedy, the nail in his coffin was when he announced that he would have uh, withdrawn all troops uh, from 
South Asia by 1965. That was uh, the gist of what he announced, correct? Right. He, he approves that in October of, of 63, that there's going to be a phased withdrawal of troops from Vietnam by 1965. And then over the course of his administration, he also has a number of things to resist going to war in Laos. The president gets a peace negotiation settled in 1962, and to make that work for Laos, he implements and puts in place a number of different men who you can count on <clears throat> to keep the peace in Laos. But the agency assassinates them to, pr- to promote and provoke war in Laos, which they hope will force the president to go to war there, like they try to do with the Bay Pigs invasion in Cuba. So they're always trying to trick the president, try to go to war in Vietnam, in Cuba, and in Laos, and he resisted every step of the way. Well, if if the war had ended in 1965 rather than 1973, that's eight mm-hmm. years, uh, you know, eight fewer years where the uh, the CIA is, is presumably making this drug money from the opium trade in Laos, eight fewer years of uh, the military-industrial complex, you know, building new Bell helicopters and M16s and, and and so forth. Now, I can see the military-industrial complex. To me, it would sound it would seem that the military-industrial complex, the defense contractors, um, uh, would have far more to lose than the the drug trade. Well, you see, it's all connected, really. I mean, they are really in this together. Because if either one goes away, they both lose out. Because the agency needs those men to sell heroin to. They have to have a marketplace to sell the drug to. And many of the men who I've talked to and have spoken to, they, they've, they've known and seen in an interview the other week with a veteran from the war, and he said drugs were so prevalent in Vietnam, they were being sold all the time, heroin especially. So if the industrial complex ends up losing out, so does the agency, too, because they can't sell the heroin to those GIs any longer. And that's where it all starts. They sell the drugs in South Vietnam to these men, and they, and they want more access to a bigger marketplace in Laos as well. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff says if we're going to go to war there, we'll, have, we'll need 60,000 men to sell the drugs to, 60,000 ground troops. So the two things are very much linked together. You can't really separate them. They, they really work hand-in-hand. <clears throat> the agency and the industrial complex. They really need each other in, in, in a sense that the, the drugs can be sold and defense contracts can be uh, can be made as well. What was the CIA uh, doing with the money, uh, aside from just lining their own pockets? Uh, was, that, was the drug money being funneled into other CIA operations? Yes, it all goes into their black budget, and then they can use it for operations elsewhere in the world. And they also got into gambling. That's some of the big thing they started to do as well in Vietnam and in Laos. They got into the gambling industry. So both of these things kind of helped them um, promote their own interests and take part in other assassinations and overthrows throughout the world. And again, I, I want to talk a bit about the effect of this this has on modern times. I think we don't really realize how much damage this agency has done throughout the world. A lot of the things that people hate about the United States come from the meddling that they've done in the Middle East and in Africa, overturning leaders that were elected democratically. And again, if they didn't, if they never existed, or RFK dismantles them in 1969, then I would argue that there is no war on terrorism today. And we also know that these four men, uh, JFK, uh, Malcolm X, um, Dr. King, and Robert Kennedy, all four of these men were big advocates for the working class. Dr. King was going to start a poor people's campaign, which would have achieved lots of success under an RFK administration. So you probably could you know, go forward in time from that point, and you could probably conclude that there is the income inequality today, this big gap in wealth that we have in the world. That, that probably does not even exist today. So there is so much damage done from these assassinations that we can just trace back to the 1960s. Well, uh, I know that uh, Dr. King, um, his he was fine, I think, in terms of uh, he was being tolerated as long as he was talking about equal rights and and uh, and civil rights and so forth. Right. Uh, but when he made that speech, um, I think it was in Riverside Riverside Church, his declaration against that was in New York, his, uh, a year to the day, I think, to his assassination. Right. Uh, when he we made we made he made his speech about Vietnam, 
largely because he saw uh, uh, photographs. Uh, William Francis Pepper shared a lot of uh, his photos of what was going on in Southeast Asia with Dr. King, and, and uh, that really cemented in Dr. King's mind that he had to speak out against Vietnam. That's when he became a threat. Uh, so... Um, we're starting to connect some dots here for sure. John Kerner stays with us here on The Conspiracy Show as we continue to talk about JFK, the CIA, and their secret drug trade in Laos. Back with more. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we'll get back to our conversation with author, historian, Professor John Kerner, uh, regarding uh, JFK and the CIA and their uh, secret drug trade in Laos, uh, was that the motivation for Kennedy's murder? Uh, in the meantime, I mentioned our new uh, Follow the Truth conference coming up April 26th at the Region Theatre in Oshawa, an evening event. Here's your chance now uh, to win a free pair of tickets. In, here's your trivia question. Uh, in the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, Donald Sutherland played the mysterious Mr. X. You may remember the scene. Uh, and Mr. X meets with JFK investigator Jim Garrison in Washington and revealed some interesting details regarding the assassination in Dallas in November 63. Let's hear a short clip, Tim. Anyway, after I came back, I asked myself, why was I, the chief of special ops, selected to travel to the South Pole at that time to do a job that any number of others could have done? And I wondered if it could have been because one of my routine duties, if I had been in Washington, would have been to arrange for additional security in Texas. So I decided to check it out. And sure enough, I found out that someone had told the 112th Military Intelligence Group and 4th Army Headquarters at Fort Sam Houston to stand down that day. Over the protests of the unit commander. All right, that's a little bit of uh, Donald Sutherland's Mr. X in Oliver Stone's JFK. Now, Stone's Mr. X character was based on an actual person. He was the chief of special operations for the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President Kennedy. So, for a pair of passes to follow the truth to my live event in Oshawa, April 26th, what real-life individual was the character Mr. X based upon? Now, Tim Spreen in the other room, my technical producer, is looking for the third caller at 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 866-740-4740. 866-740-4740. Third caller with the correct answer, and you receive a pair of tickets to follow the truth April 26th. All right, back to our conversation with uh, John Kerner. Now, um, when did Malcolm X, uh, I mean, can you cite a specific uh, a public statement when he talked about this, this drug trade that was going on in, in Laos uh, by the CIA? Well, there are a number of times he talks about it. Um, he, he actually cites specifically Alan Dulles in one of his uh, addresses, just a few months before his assassination, the former CIA director. And he also tells his biographer um, that he feels that the different threats on his life are not being done by the Muslims or being done by the CIA. In fact, one time that he is speaking in Egypt, just a few months before his own assassination, he is poisoned at a restaurant that he was at, and he would have died that day had they not acted quickly and pumped his stomach. And you know for a fact that had been done by the agency. So another time he tries to go to France, can't get into France because the French government tells him that the agency is going to kill him there. They don't want it done on their soil. So there are a number of things happening that are making him a threat, and he's starting to say specifically that the white man's poison is killing the, the American ghettos. But it's not only that. He's also speaking out against the Vietnam War. And his, his protests against the Vietnam War are also pretty early on, I'm talking about 1963, 1962, when the, the public at large is still, in, for the most part, in favor of the war. So he's an early voice, a key voice, that is speaking out against both drugs and the war that's making him a target. And how about, uh, um, I mentioned the Riverside uh, Church speech in New York, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., 
April 4th, 1967, again, a year to the day when he was assassinated. And that was when he started to speak out about Vietnam, really, for the first time. Prior to that, it was just civil rights and, and uh, equal rights and so forth. Um, but did he speak specifically about this drug trade uh, going on in Laos? Yes, he speaks about drugs in general, but the war itself as well. And the way we can connect the assassination to drugs is another way, too, with the assassins themselves. Okay, the assassins for Dr. King came from Operation Phoenix, and that's been proven by a guy named Douglas Valentine. He did research on this back in 1990, and he proved that the assassins from his research came from Operation Phoenix. Operation Phoenix was what was being used by the agency to run the drug trade in Laos. And, in fact, one guy that was part of the operation was, of course, David Morales, as I mentioned before. Right. So we can connect this this Operation Phoenix directly to the King assassination through a guy named Douglas Valentine. So there is that aspect to it. We talked about Morales with the RFK assassination, being at the Ambassador Hotel Ballroom, and also he's involved with the JFK assassination, too, through me, from me, Howard Hunt's admissions. So they all connect really through this one man. And I think that's one way we can connect it through the assassins themselves. Now, the shooters uh, for, for Jack Kennedy... Um, you know, I've, I've heard that it was, um, uh, that there were people like Nicoletti in, involved from the Chicago, uh, mobsters, uh, Giancana's, um, I guess number one or number two guy. It was a Charles Nicoletti. Um, there were others that have been, been cited as possible trigger men in Dallas. Uh, what do you, th- what do you think? What has your research shown? Who do you think were the shooters and, and how do they connect with the, the drug trade in Southeast Asia? Well, the way I can connect them is, again, through E. Howard Hunt. Hunt is this man, again, who is a Watergate burglar. He's from Nixon's administration, obviously a member of the agency. It probably was one of the three tramps photographed by the Dallas photographer in Dealey Plaza. He most likely was there at the assassination site. And on his deathbed, you probably know he admits that he was involved with the assassination. And according to him, Devin Morales is the one who picks the assassins, that he, of course, is the one that arranges for the assassination himself. He's, he's part of this directly. So again, it's this key man, Morales, that I keep pointing to that can pull us back to the drug trade, back to Southeast Asia, back to the drugs. And again, it's from Hunt, who was there in the conspiracy with the assassins themselves, planning it right and directly in, in the agency. All right, we'll take another time out, come back and finish with historian, author, Professor John Kerner, connecting the dots, JFK, the CIA, and the secret drug trade in Laos. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740. And congratulations to Frank Lumeri. Uh, who called in with the correct answer to our, our trivia question and won a pair of tickets to Follow the Truth 2, happening April 26th at the Region Theater in Oshawa, hosted by yours truly, and six, at least six, amazing uh, speakers. Uh, check out the website for more details, followthetruth.tv. John Kerner uh, stays with us. Oh, the correct answer, in, uh, incidentally, was Fletcher Prouty. Mr. X was based on the real-life character uh, Fletcher Prouty who was the uh, the um, Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, under John F. Kennedy. All right. Now, um, I mean, what is this 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 CIA involvement in this drug trade? Uh, I, I guess it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but what does this say about this so-called you know war on drugs that's been going on in the United States for the last 40-plus years, John? It's just so hypocritical. Yeah, it really is hypocritical. I mean, it's, it's so sad, too. I mean, I've talked to a lot of veterans who who suffer from heroin addiction and and my, my own family has had um, many members in the military who serve in really all branches and my heart just goes out to them i mean they just they, they're so victimized by this drug it is such a an easy drug to get addicted to and the, the type of combat that these veterans had to go through in vietnam it's just almost tailor-made to, to alleviate their stress and Again, for the men who in Vietnam were victimized by this, they came home to a country that didn't even accept them back, and 60,000 killed themselves. And I mentioned before that they even were using the coffins of these dead soldiers to ship heroin to the United States. I mean, how disrespectful can you get to our veterans? Beyond, beyond, yes. 
And so when you look at uh, geopolitically uh, conflicts around the world uh, today, uh, well, let's let's talk about Afghanistan. We're all familiar with the um, the, the right. poppy fields in Afghanistan. Um, I mean, how how much of that conflict was based on controlling the the, the poppy fields, the opium, uh, and thus the heroin in in Afghanistan? I think it's directly related to that. I think it's one of the big reasons why it hasn't been explored yet. And hopefully, my research will encourage others to look into that because I don't think it's a coincidence. Because nowadays, um, that, that place is the best place to grow opium in the world. And opium, of course, gives us heroin, it gives us morphine, codeine, all kinds of things that we uh, use all throughout the world. And the agency's history, I mean, you can't put anything past them. Just going back to JFK's administration, the, the treachery that they would do. I mean, let's talk a bit about the, the Royal Ocean Army. That army was created by the CIA to fight, to fight communism in Laos. And ostensibly, that, that's why they were there. But every now and then, if they would be winning a battle or two, and the war looked like it was going to be won, and they, then they'd have to go home. What they would end up with doing is they would help destroy their own army. They would end up killing their own army soldiers and generals and officers to keep the war going in Laos perpetually to convince JFK to commit ground troops there and, to, and even to stay in Vietnam. So to say our country can do treacherous things in Afghanistan... If you look at the historical record, uh, it's quite possible that that's what's going on there, too. I would not doubt it. Uh, but yet, we're, we're told uh, that, that part of the rebuilding program in, in Afghanistan, uh, not only you know, to, to push the Taliban back and preserve the, uh, the regime in Kabul, uh, but was also to sort of wean many of these farmers off uh, of having to sustain themselves by growing poppies. Uh, so, uh, was the military sort of working then at, at, at cross purposes? Did they, did, did the one hand know what the other hand was doing, or, or was this just a complete lie that in fact, you know, they weren't, they weren't trying to, to, to get the farmers off of, off of the, the poppy uh, fields crop? Yeah, I would suspect that there is so much going on there that will never be told because, uh, it's so hard to get information out of Afghanistan and so much of it is censored. Uh, the military does not let so few reporters in there to see what's really going on. Uh, photography of dead soldiers never gets published. I mean, all the different things to see what's going on in, in a war like that, we never get a chance to see. Only years and years later, like with Laos, for example, we get to finally understand what was happening there. So perhaps in another 20 or 30 years, we'll find out that that was a true reason why the United States has stayed in Afghanistan for so many, many years. And it probably was more drug-related than it was terrorism-related. Have you looked into the, the CIA's possible involvement in the cocaine trade in places like Colombia? Well, it's interesting you should say that, because places like Colombia and places like Af- Africa, too, these are places where they reached out as well. And look at Gary Webb's reporting, reporting of Alfred McCoy, and also talking about Malcolm X, too. Malcolm X was getting involved in in African relations at the end of his life. And he was seeing firsthand that the agency was getting involved in killing leaders there and spreading drugs into Africa as well. So he was becoming a threat in part because of that too. So you see the the large extent of what they were doing covering South America, Africa, and a man like Malcolm X was a key threat to their international drug trade because of his speaking out against it in our country and in Africa too. So it's all connected. What you're saying makes perfect sense. It all has connections and these spotted webs of drugs throughout the world. Uh, I'm just thinking about the, um, you know, the uh, the war against these traffickers in Colombia, the uh, the Escobars, you know, part of the Medellin cartel. Um, so if what you're saying is is true, it would stand to reason then that uh, the Medellin cartel. Uh, were, in fact, working alongside the CIA. Is, is that what we're to take away from this? Yeah, I think we can, we can probably conclude that they have their, their tentacles in places like that because it's in their own self-interest, because they can bring in um, more drugs into our country as they have been since almost the gestation of their agency. That is what they do best. Uh, they know how to bring drugs in. They know where to bring them to, who are the right victims to victimize with, so that kind of place would be perfect for them. And, again, that's the best thing, best way I can put it. 
they seem to be better equipped to grow, sell, and trade drugs than to interest abroad for our country. And it really begins in the 50s when they find out that heroin and opium are so lucrative in the poppy fields of Laos. That's where it all begins. And President Kennedy, his brother, Malcolm X, and Dr. King wanted to stop the drugs in the war. They, they were stopped by them, I think, in large part because of that. It's interesting that since the uh, you know the, the privatization of the prison system in the United States, it used to be called Wacka Hut. I, I, I'm not sure who they're uh, what they're called now, but um, uh, and I think it's a subsidiary of um, uh, what was Dick Cheney's uh, Halliburton. Halliburton, I believe. I could be wrong on that. I'll look into that. I believe Wacka Hut was a subsidiary of, of Halliburton, uh, but they are essentially and these are publicly. Tr- this is a publicly traded company. Think of it. Uh, so that when more people are sent to prison, and most of them are sent to prison for for drug use, illegal drug use, and so forth, uh, the stock uh, goes up. I mean, if there is if there is a more of a uh, a symptom of a sick society, I, I don't know what you know what to tell you. But obviously, the, 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 there must be a connection there too. I mean, with the uh, uh, some sort of vertical integration between these uh, drug cartels, the intelligence agencies, and the, pe- the people that are running these private prison systems. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? And, and historically speaking, I just want to look at this from the perspective of history. I, it, for me, it's, there, it's, it's so shameful that we got to this point in the first place, because I don't think we get to this point if Robert Kennedy is not assassinated. Uh, he is the key link here in the chain. He was the man who had the courage to stand up to the agency, and he was going to hold trials for treason and have executions for the men who killed his brother and dismantle the agency completely. So if that happens in 1970, then what we're talking about right now doesn't get a chance to exist. They don't get a chance to go to Colombia, to go to, to, go to Middle America, to go to Africa, because they simply will not exist if RFK becomes president. So if we think about this historically speaking, we, we see a point there, the shift in inequality and in, in terrorism and drugs. It all comes from that point there in the late 60s when Dr. King and RFK get assassinated within months of each other. And I think at that point, really things start going very bad in terms of drugs, war, and terrorism. Are there any uh, smoking gun documents in, in your book uh, that you could share with us? Uh, from what perspective do you mean? Well, I don't know, uh, some sort of a, a paper trail, a memo, uh, something that would, I guess, support uh, support your argument. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think uh, the key piece of evidence that I've seen is the Battle of Nam Tha. When I heard about that, it just convinced me that the agency was out to kill President Kennedy. And again, I got a lot of this information from archival documents from JFK Library. I listened to hours and hours of tape recordings from his administration talking about their policy towards Laos. And you get these on these little cassette tapes and I've listened to them for weeks and months on end. And that battle at Nam Tha in May of sixty two, when that happens, basically what ends up going on there is the agency at that point in time, was convinced that if they could just trick JFK to commit ground troops to Laos, then get their 60,000 customers to sell drugs to. And what they ended up doing there is they destroyed their own army to do this, an army that they had created years ago. So they go to Nam Tha and basically obliterate their entire army, this force for democracy, to trick JFK to go to war in Laos. And that key battle there... They try to trick the president to go to war, like the Bay Pigs invasion in Cuba, I think is the key piece of evidence that one of many, really, that shows the diabolical nature of what they could do to try to trick the president to go to war. And JFK, to his credit, does not in any way jump. He doesn't bite, and in fact, he refuses to commit ground troops. And at that point in time, things get worse. They start killing the men he appoints to be leaders in Laos. They assassinate them. He pulls money away from them. Back and forth they go until they kill him in 63. In your mind, what has to change uh, in, in order to, I mean, if the CIA is responsible uh, for funneling, you know, much of the, uh, the illicit drugs that makes its way into the United States, uh, and this is, a, you know, obviously a colossal problem and a huge societal problem, what has to change? I mean, how, how can this problem be fixed short of dismantling the CIA? 
Well, one thing is recognition. I mean, I think we have to come to the recognition that we need to face our history. We need to be teaching history in, in, a, in a way that's more logical and open and honest. And if we can start at that point, then we have a hope. But our history textbooks are just basically blind to these things, to the facts. And there's reason for this. Um, you know, the Gary Webbs of the world and Louis Lomaxes of the world can testify to that. I mean, it's not easy to speak the truth. But my perspective, if we're teaching history to our students and can tell them what the truth is, then I think we have a shot for a better future in terms of trying to undermine some of the, the policies that have damaged our country so much. What are you working on next, John? I've got a book I'm working on now um, that it's more of a religious book, and it's kind of going back to my roots. I did some books about uh, Father Nelson Baker, who's up for sainthood, and I want to go back to the kind of that kind of uh, research next. And um, that, uh, me hopefully coming out in uh, maybe a year or two, working on that now. Something a little more uplifting, I would imagine. You'd, you'd want to take on a project after... Kind of like a, a Dan Brown type of book. Oh, I it's, see. Um, okay. Something like that, a religious uh, mystery involving uh, Jesus, actually. And, uh, well, listen, in the, um, in the meantime, uh, be safe. I mean, I, 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 I hope you're taking, uh, you know, some, some, some precautions because um, we need I people am. like I you. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> be too frightened. Um, I do come from a very proud family. We do uh, love our country very much. As I, as I mentioned, my, uh, my father and grandfather did serve in the military, and we have a very patriotic and good family. And I um, hopefully that will continue on and do our good work uh, and into the future. Uh, are your parents still living? Is your father still living? Yes, he's still. I think he's listening now, so um, hopefully he'll be. How did, I mean, how, as someone who served uh, he, for your country, how does he feel about, about this book? He's very proud of it. Uh, he, and basically, um, he's seen firsthand what's gone on in the military. Um, he knows what, what's been happening with the country. Uh, he served for many years in the Army. Um, my, my brother-in-law also served in the Navy. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II. I heard a lot of stories from him about, um, you know, military life and uh, how things work in the military world. And and a lot of my uh, background really comes from that, too. And, um, you know, hopefully um, that kind of background that I have informs my writing, I think. Absolutely. I to be um, upfront and, and honest with, our, with my approach in terms of how I... Got it. Respect the facts. Okay, Johnny, I appreciate uh, your time tonight. John Kerner, I appreciate it. Why the CIA Killed JFK and Malcolm X. His website, paranormalwalks.com. He also runs a paranormal walk. Uh, we've linked up to that on richardserrett.com. In the meantime, follow the truth. <laughs>